there, so, there I am. Was, there I am yeah. picking you up from the airport, and <laughs> and like within within what within six months of having the idea, I've got I've got one of my one of my now idols sat in the passenger seat next to me, and you know I didn't drink coffee at the time, and 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 this dude has come out of the Heathrow terminal. Hey man, how you doing? Thanks for picking me up. I got your coffee. And I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, I can't say no. This is Greg Hancock. So there I, I, you know, I forced this coffee down me and then we, we got to ProDrive, did the meeting and I'm thinking, oh my God, this this is, this is Greg Hancock. This is amazing. I've got Greg Hancock. I'm taking him back to the airport. And I was like, Greg, do you want to, is there anything else you want to do? Hey man, is is there a Tesco's round here or something? I was like, yeah, sure. What do you want? I really need to go and get some nappy sacks. And I was like, what? You're listening to the one and only Real 45 Podcast. We talk about life, racing, and getting sideways. Hey, every day is a new day. How hard can it be? And now, your hosts are in the building. Greg Hancock and Stefan Junell. Okay, hey everybody. Welcome back to the Real 45 Podcast. I'm your host today. Again, I'll be running this one on my own, uh, Greg Hancock. And it's been interesting weeks. We've had lots going on. We've had not a lot going on, too, because it's still uh, quarantine periods and dealing with life as usual, right? So, um, you know, a lot of homeschool, a lot of uh, taking care of all those uh, those projects, unfinished projects that you wanted to get done and starting new unfinished projects. And it's, it's all good. But um, one project that... Uh, we started back in the day and it got done. It proved successful. And I'm super, when I say stoked, grateful that uh, I had the chance or the opportunity to, to work with some, some pretty amazing people. And you probably heard me talk about this over the years and about uh, a certain period there in the, uh, in the two thousands and prior to 2010, there was a couple of year, good years of, of hard work and development where I had the opportunity to work with some great people from ProDrive in the UK. And uh, these guys are all car guys, but deep at heart, I think they're, <clears throat> excuse me, more motorcycle guys than they are car guys. And these guys opened up a whole new door for me. And I have to say there was one man in particular who initiated all this and was the one who never gave up on getting us hooked up together, which I am still to the day in, in endless debt to, to this man and today i've got him here on the podcast so i really hope you guys enjoy listening to this because this dude is uh you'll hear in his voice you'll get you'll get a good vibe from him he's he's a former racer himself and he grew up on four wheels and however he you'll find out he actually started on two wheels went to four wheels and ended up being a a, a major major uh, part of my racing success in the later years and a major contributor to my three world championships uh, from the one from 11 and then uh, from 14 to 16. So this guy's cool, man. You got to hear him. He's super positive and I've never, ever heard a negative word out of his mouth. And for that reason, I, I welcome Lars Sexton from the UK. How you doing, Lars? 
Hey Greg, good good to hear you. It's been a while. Um, it's good to hear your voice. I'm good. We're we're on lockdown here. Um, I think we're probably a little bit behind everybody else. So I think we're probably about week eight or week nine now. But um, missing Speedway terribly. Um, missing Greg Hancock not being on the Speedway scene terribly. Um, so yeah, you know my. My not just not just probably a speedway hero to me. I think, um, and again, you know, you mentioned how you got involved with Pro Drive, and and that was via me, and you know, and how it come about. I think it was just ultimately just wanting to help somebody that I observed being what I look upon as being a total pro, a real real sportsman. So yeah, I'm good. I'm good, man. Good to talk to you, dude. You're as always. You're always positive. You've always got a, a good. Uh, a good vibe in your voice and you're just like you feel the energy when you when i see it you know and i can still i can still hear your voice going greg greg uh, <laughs> up from behind the fence there at uh at reading and um uh, my, my period there with the bulldogs and i i still to the day from the the first moment we met you had that big grin on your face and you were just so excited that we were actually linked up and started talking to each other and how quickly that escalated into bikes in the van on the way down to to pro drive there just outside of oxford and dude this is where it all began but we'll go we'll go deeper into that lars i i'm i want to talk about you right you did a, a heck of a lot for me and as we get into that but let's talk about lars sexton i mean where did you come from dude who who made you <laughs> so so how many what am i am i the sixth lars on your phone or the seventh lars you must have a lot, lot of lars on your phone <laughs> well between lars's and lars eric's there's a couple you know <laughs> i think i think you even have a lars is it a lars larson yep lars larson here in the well he's a swede but he lives uh six months here in, in down in san diego and then he lives six months over there in sweden so uh, and that dude's a legend in himself but uh, we won't go there in this podcast um so yeah well whilst i'm called lars i'm not i'm not swedish by any means i'm i'm fully english um my parents live next door to a swedish family um father was called lars the son was called lars they loved the name so they wanted to call me lars so they called me lars and moved um and wow. you know greg i know we, we spoke about it briefly or we, we spoke about it historically you know my growing up my my dad was my best mate and i was his best mate and I see a lot of that in you and, and, and how you how you're bringing up the boys, you and Jenny are bringing up the boys. And my dad's always encouraged me. Um, everything I've ever done in my life pretty much has been down to my dad. So he started me BMX racing. Um, I had my first race, my BMX race at the age of three and a half years old. Um, I didn't want to do it. There's a picture of me with a tear running down my eye and my dad said <laughs> i'll do you a deal lars you've got to do three races um and then you're done but what he didn't i classed the practice as a race and then said i'm done before the final so you know he pushed me into bmx and and i guess for me that's where the kind of californian link comes in so back in the early 80s um in, in california bmx was big and the Kellogg's BMX series, I was on that as a as a four four and a half year old kid, and always raced BMX and was kind of Southern champion, but never had strong enough legs to be British champion. Um, and man, I just like I just like the Californian vibe, you know, the, probably the the most stylish people in the world, you know, Vans, Bob Haro, 
Mongoose, Robinson, all those, all those brands. And so I started BMX racing, did that for a lot of years, but um, again, we'll probably touch on it late, later with a speedway link. But again, my dad would used to take us to speedway meetings. He used to take us to motocross meetings, you name it, you know, Formula One meetings, race meetings. So I've always been involved in motorsport. Um, and late, latterly, I, I raced karts and was British Open champion. Um, raced around the same sort of era as Jensen Button and Anthony, Anthony Davidson. So when Jensen was British champion in cadets, I was third in the country. Um, and then, I, you know, I beat him a couple of times throughout the season in some British championship rounds. But generally, he would beat me more than, than I would beat him. Um, and yeah, raced karts up until the age of 1920. Won a scholarship to go and race um, a Lafilia Elf sponsored scholarship to go and race cars in France. So that's kind of my background um, in racing. So yeah, quite quite a bit. Two wheels, then four. Dude, so you did a lot in a in a fairly short period there. Um, yeah. Overall, I mean, when if we, how old were you then? Let's see. When you were doing the the series there, the cadet series there with with Jensen, how old would you have been? So I did BMX from the age of three and a half to nine years old and then started kart racing at nine and then karted for about a decade, really, from nine up until 19. Dang. Okay. So kart racing must have been a blast, right? I mean, how how big were the karts that you started on there? Um, so I started on 60cc carts um, for age age between 8 to 12 and then moved up to 100cc carts um, in juniors and then and then latterly Formula A, which is the class was called in, in seniors. And, you know, probably for American guys, you know, I raced against Dan Weldon, who sadly got killed, yeah. killed at the at the Indy race. But, um, you know, you know, old, old friends of mine and Jay Howard, who now races out in the in the in the U S raced and, and knocked around with all those guys. So that's where my competitive love of sport. And I've always looked at other sports for psychological, you know, you know, what are they doing psychologically? What, what tricks are they up to? So I've always been involved in quite a lot of things really. Wow, man. I, it's pretty obvious that you, that you have been because in knowing you now, all your psychological points or, or motivational um, things that you've done for me over the years and never lose sight of that, right? You're always been pushing me like uh, one of the best quotes and you and I still, or I still bring it up, I should say pretty regular is it's a, you're, you're too good to only be one time world champion. And I'll never forget that from, from the early days. And, uh, <laughs> and then uh, when we got the first title in together in 2011 then started back at it again in in 12 and you said i still think you're just too good to be two times world champion (laughs) and uh and that went on and that went on and and damn dude (laughs) (laughs) yeah wow um it's special it's it's a special special time in my life you know being involved in helping you and and i think it was i I remember reading some stuff you, you see people that become world champions you know and i'm sure when you became world champion for the first time all of a sudden overnight you've you've achieved your ambition and a lot of people get there and they don't think beyond that they don't think what now you know johnny wilkinson the the english rugby player he said that the happiest time in his life was when um matt dawson kicked that ball into touch at the world cup and they were about to become world champions and 
he didn't think about what was going to happen beyond that. So, and that's kind of a thing. And I, and I always believe, Greg, you know, I think that in my, in my eyes, you know, I mean, how many champions did Tony Rickardson get? Six? Yeah. You, I, I think had, you know, if buts and maybes, and a, a good saying, um, a friend of mine said, if, if your auntie was your uncle, she'd have a pair of balls. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, but I really do think, you know, I, I, Whilst I said it, I truly believed it. I was like, Greg, you know, and I was trying to kind of say, you know, that's great. We've done, you've done it. You've done it. But you're too good just to be a two-time world champion. And you're too good just to be a three-time world champion because it's important to have that mentality of the next, what's next. And you grabbed it and you went with it. Dude, you're not kidding, man. I, I, I totally grasped that whole concept and thought like, yeah. Yeah, he's right. I am too good to be one-time world champion, or two-time world champion, or three-time world champion. And and uh, boy, did did I not understand uh, at that at the first moment how much that actually meant, and how much motivation and drive that actually gave me. So wow, you know, I'm uh, you know I've I've credited you guys, you and and Mick and the whole crew, uh, you know, times over the over the past, and, and even more recently when we've been talking about my career. Uh, more depth, you know, but the the honest truth is that those are the kind of things that you learn to believe in yourself more, but also that there are people out there who can help you in ways that you never imagined or wouldn't ever, maybe you don't, you don't reach out for those kind of people. You just take what's in your little circle, but you guys were outside of my circle and that's what it took. And that's, I still believe that's what it takes to be successful and long-term you need to go outside of the box a little bit and uh and try to grasp a lot more information that's out there yeah yeah for sure greg but you know you know it starts off at home doesn't it i i remember i mean i never had this conversation with you but i remember talking to mick metcalf you know we'll talk about mick a little bit a, a bit later on in the podcast but you know mick, mick said to me that i think that was it was it you, you were going for a tough time with with a speedway and i think i think jenny's kind of said to you greg you know I can see, I can see you're, you're, you're hurting here. You're not enjoying it. You know, just go take some time and go figure it out, go figure out what you want. And, and I, you know, everything starts at home and you, you got a strong, you got a strong woman there, you know, setting you off on the right foot. And, and we just played a small part in, in helping that. And I truly believe, you know, whilst, well, you know, we, we played less than a, a 10% difference in, 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 your your performance because you still had to go and pedal the bike you still had to go and sort your engines out you still had to sort the team out and get everybody performing but if we helped in a small way man that's all i ever set out to do i just wanted to help you dude well you did that and you you said it exactly you know um coming into this the we i mean what year was that at reading when we first started really going to town uh, 2000 looking back now, was that six must, must've been. Cause I, I, the re and I, I can, I can go through the motivation as to, to how this all kind of kicked off. If you want in a, in a bit, it's up to you. Well, I, I would love to, but what I'm firstly, what I meant by it, like as you, as you, uh, and kind of, um, elaborating on what you said about Jenny and having a good home life is there was a period that we were working together already and things were going in a good a good way but we it felt like at one point we we were trying to really really reinvent the the chassis in another way to really try to make it the thing 
a, you know, a stable, hardcore motorcycle. And um, we did that. We succeeded in that. But Speedway doesn't need to be the most perfect, stable motorcycle. It just has to be built to work in the, in the way that it's supposed to flex and the way it's supposed to grip and where it's supposed to grab and where it's not. And that part you guys knew, but the, the other part I was still trying to figure out, like, no, I can't get this working. I can't get it working. And we were working so hard. But then you get to a point there. It was just before 2010, that period, or around that period, where I was like, I'm over this. You know, this mm. is like, maybe I'm not going to go any further. Maybe this is it. Maybe I'm just a, a one-hit wonder, you know? That's kind of how you look at it. Yeah. And uh, I remember having the conversation with Jenny at that point. And we were already working together, us, you guys and us, for for a few years. And I said, you know what? You know, the politics and everything was getting to me at that point yeah. with things that were changing and what they were doing. I was like, I don't know about this, babe. You know, this is like this this kind of stuff really irks me. You know, you're trying to find you're trying to find the right engine combination, the right mechanics, the right you gotta put the whole thing together and get the bikes working and get that going. And then you got this changing and that changing behind the scenes with the with the sport or the, the regulations. And I went, Ah, oh, this isn't fun anymore. You know, that's kind of where I was. And I remember her going, what are you talking about? You can't consider stopping this. You're, you, you know, you never stop. You're, you go, you go to the races, you're thinking, and you drive home from races quite often by yourself. Mm. Uh, when mechanics would take off and go one direction, and I'd have to spend four or five hours in the car by myself sometimes driving home. And that turned out to be some of the most influential time and periods for me being alone in the car listening to a specific type of music or something and basically downloading my my racing from that night and what what did i do good and what can i do to be better and thinking about all the things that happened in between and uh going okay maybe i had to make a phone call to somebody in the u.s or talk to some of my buddies because we were on different time uh time schedules there or, or say time uh <laughs> what's the word i'm looking for time, <laughs> time, time zones. yeah <laughs> And, uh, and those kind of things, you know, I never shut down. I'm always thinking Speedway 24 seven. And that's pretty obvious. My friends joke about it, but <laughs> it's true. And then the way she put it to me is like, no way. Are you kidding me? You just need to, you know, put, put your efforts in, into the right place. Don't waste time on things that are not for you. Put your, you know, your heart and soul into what you love most. And that's the racing and let, you know, basically let other people take care of the things that you normally want to have your hand on everything. She was really trying to get me to, to delegate out a little bit and not be so controlling, too. And uh, that's when things turned around. And suddenly, wham, we nailed a, a chassis combination there, if you remember that. And then I won the Grand Prix in, in uh, Croatia. Yeah. And um, I mean, and, you know, in, th- there's there's the yeah. real there's the real team team boss there, right? Huh? you know starts at home jenny jenny's a real team boss she's kind of like far enough out removed from it that can kind of see you and set you on the right journey but um yeah amazing but you you mentioned croatia so um i kind of you know i, I want to a little bit kind of say how we how we kind of met up but that croatia i was actually on holiday in greece at the time and i knew that that i got a phone call from mick to say lars just spoke to greg he loves the frame. He's using it at this weekend's Grand Prix. And I was like, no way. Oh, my God, it's amazing. So I had to find somewhere in Greece that was going to show the Speedway GP live because there was no way I was going to miss it. And 
I was going nuts in this bar in Greece. I was shouting, going nuts. And there's people looking at me, probably don't even know what Speedway is, going, what's wrong with this guy? And when you won, you know, Charlotte and I were going berserk. It was amazing. <laughs> I remember this. I remember having messages back and forth with you too, of being over there. And uh, that that combination that we that we finally decided that we were going to go with when you guys made that. And I think that was our fourth or fifth version at that time of the, a part of the rear frame. We had already made all the adjustments to the diamond and to the forks, mm. which I was already used, started playing with mainly, but the rear section part that you guys made uh, at that time, I just remember the first practice session. And I've, I've mentioned this numerous times too. And I went out on it and I was, we had just adjusted the front end and we put that rear section on and I went out and I did about six laps and I stopped and I told the guys I can win the world championship on this. Wow. And they just looked at me like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there goes Greg again. <laughs> and I uh, said, I'm serious. This thing works really, really good. Yeah. I can, I can be me. Mm-hmm. I can ride the way I ride. I don't need to adjust my style to try to adapt to the bike. I could just get on it and ride the way I do. And that thing, took me around the track wow and that's exactly what you guys created for me and that was what your i think your mission was so yeah i mean my my mission early doors was i mean i when was your first season at reading bulldogs two was it 2006 seven I think so. I, I, you know what? I gotta. I might even have to Google that while we're talking here. Uh, <laughs> but looking back, the years just fly past me. Um, let's see. What's it got here on the net? Reading Bulldog Speedway. Here we go. Uh, what year would that have been? It's gotta be like oh six or something. Right? Got be around there. But I, I it, it was. So I, I've been again. Like I said about my dad, like. He loved Speedway. We always used to go to Reading, Reading Speedway. Um, and then Charlotte, my now wife, her dad used to organize a coach trip to go down to Cardiff to watch the Grand Prix. And I was too busy with my own racing schedule, so I didn't go to a Speedway for years. But I happened to go down on this trip. I wasn't racing that weekend. I went down to Cardiff. And I think it was the year that Tony, Tony went round the boards in the final from the from the outside oh, yeah. <laughs> and yep. i obviously so it's that year and i remember and and like i said to you about the psychology of the riders like whilst everybody was in town getting drunk and having you know drinking and getting drunk and enjoying the atmosphere as soon as the coach landed i said i want to go to the pits i want to just and i couldn't get into the pits, so i was observing from that upper tier on the route into the stadium where people walk uh-huh. And I remember it so clear to this day. You had, I love, I love the cap, the Greg Ancock cap that you were wearing. It was a system Edstrom cap with the number five on the side. Loved it. Yeah. And you were with, I think, the system Edstrom VIPs that were coming for a tour around the pits. And I'd, I'd obviously watched you race. I, I can't, I don't think that you were like properly on my raid radar as, as a person, as a rider before then, but. You know, I watched you and observed you with those people. And I remember so clearly just going, man, that that there is a nice guy. That there is a decent guy. And I'd stop racing. I think I'd stop racing at, my ta- at the time. And I was kind of going through a bit of depression, maybe. I didn't really realize it at the time. And I needed a target. Uh-huh. I needed a goal. Again, I needed something to achieve. 
And I said to myself, I'm going to, I'm going to help that guy. I want to help that guy. I didn't have any money, so I couldn't, I couldn't sponsor you, but I just thought I'm going to help that guy. Um, and that's where it initially all kicked off. Um, just, and, and the, and the, the kind of story that I want to get across really is to any young kids out there, obviously you've got some professional people, be it in football, basketball, tennis or whatever. It's so important to carry yourself in the right way because you never know when somebody's watching you that can help you. And that's where it kind of the spark was ignited in terms of my desire to help you. Well, dude, I mean, obviously I'm still eternally grateful for, for all that. And that was a good point. You know, you never know when someone's watching you and the amount of people that you cross over, you know, over the years. And I, I, I try never to burn a bridge. I always give people a chance. And in some cases for, for reasons like that, you never know who you're going to pass. And it could be the wrong person too, mm. that you should just avoid. But uh, there's plenty of people out there that just want to be stand next to you as well. And then there's people out there that generally think I want to, I want to do something with that guy. And, and it could be a, a friendship. It could be end up being a relationship for somebody, you know, uh, and it also becomes sponsorship or business partnerships, those things like that, that happen at the racetrack or in and around the racetrack are, are insane. So these kind of things, you know, I, I'm kind of extreme in some ways, I think, but it's just me. That's just how I am. And, and uh, I always see the good in people. I don't really, I very rarely see the negative or the bad because you think, gosh, if they did something bad, they, I don't think they meant yeah. it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, dude, you did, you did great in helping me, you know, you were, this is massive. And, uh, but have you been, have you been that kind of a person from a kid? Or have you always been? I mean, uh, would you want to say inspiring or positive as you're racing? Um, I think I, I think with this whole project, with the, with the whole ProDrive project with you, I think there's so so many stars aligned, and it was just meant to be. But in terms of have, have I always been like that? Um, I think because I've always raced from a young age, I've always mm-hmm. appreciated anybody that's helped me. And you know, when when you're in a world championship, and and crikey, you speedway guys, you know what you're, you're racing five times a week in three or four different countries. I think, you know, and, and, and whoever you are, it takes a lot of energy, a lot of money, a lot of energy and a lot of time to compete at a decent level. And I think you can become bogged down and immersed in your own sport. And it's just nice almost if somebody, somebody out of the blue just tries to help you and give you a leg up. So as, as I said, I, I stopped racing, I think, and I was at a kind of a loose end and just didn't really have a purpose in my life. And I just, I made that my purpose and, and I didn't want to earn anything from it. All I wanted to do, I, and all I wanted really to do is to say, right, I want to help that guy and I want to be able to call him a friend. That's all I wanted. Didn't want anything else. And just to know that I've made a small contribution, be it a contact or how how it went was amazing. So yeah, I think I've always I'm a relatively positive person, but again, you know, everybody that knows me would say I'm a positive person, but you know, sometimes the the person that can bear the brunt of me not being positive might be when you get home and you shut the door because nobody knows what people are like behind closed doors are. So generally I am very very positive, but we all Greg we all, we all deal with kind of tough negative crap at times, don't we? 
without a doubt you know like like you say the truth is what happens when you close the door at home you know that's the real person and uh without a doubt that's that's me too you know i'm i'm all happy and smiles on the outside (laughs) and my wife has to deal with all the other stuff when i get home (laughs) but i'm yeah right so i mean i'm lucky in that sense that i have her because she's the one who helps to straighten me out and she knows when i need to talk and when i need to be alone Mm -hmm. and um probably also when i need to be told yeah yeah but it's uh sometimes you you know you 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 live in the racing world too right so you're around a lot of people that people refer to hangers on and those people who will always be the ones that tell you how how good you were and no matter how bad you were on the day whatever there's a, always a group of people that, that are there to, to basically tell you no it wasn't bad you didn't do that that bad it was this was good and that was good and always basically trying to make you feel better by telling you, you did good and really in your back of your mind you're going you're such a liar yeah. <laughs> you know i did not do good i screwed that up i did this bad i did that bad and you know maybe in your head uh you can tear yourself apart and then you come home and you, you you've just put on that grin all night long and then all those things and you're so frustrated at some point you gotta let it go that's where my car rides home the long car rides were so good because i had a lot of time to to basically swear and <laughs> and uh analyze everything that i did good and everything that as i like to say now the could have done better i never try to say that i've done anything bad i just that could have been better i made the bad choice there or made a, a, a different <laughs> the wrong yeah. choice and um and tried to that was my way of being positive and and dealing with it so it was good to have three or four or five hours in the car riding home because by the time you got home you were you had come down your racing adrenaline had dropped and that can take an hour or two sometimes you're you know your mind is still going and you're still reliving every heat and every start and everything that happened and every situation in the pits and your communication with uh excuse me with your mechanics so you need time to to let that that all sink and come down so that you can actually think and process everything normal otherwise you're just you live in an adrenaline mode and you you just i can shoot from the hip a lot of times too and not think about what I'm saying before I say it. And then you kind of go, Ooh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. But that's, that's my adrenaline rush and my ADHD or whatever, ADD or whatever I've got. No, I, I think something. So there. Greg, I, I think, you know, this is, this is my, my, my take on it. So as, as, as a couple of things, I could always tell when you were riding on low on confidence or the bike wasn't right or the engine wasn't right because you always, you look behind and I knew, and I'd say to Charlotte, if, if you look behind in a couple of races, I'm like, he's not confident. He doesn't believe he's got the speed because, you know, back from the early days in karting, the, the rule is, you know, don't look behind because that's not where you're going. You're going forwards. If in a kart race, there's 24 of you on the grid and you're in first, you know, there's 23 people behind you. So don't look behind. And I could always tell that. And I, I know obviously some people with speedway, when they ride in pairs, team ride, they, they've got to look behind to see where the partner was. But I could tell sometimes just by watching about what sort of a night you were having because of the whole confidence and, and the snowball thing. But, and again, sorry, I was going to say as well, like, like that bit, you know, the interesting character I, I, I really like about you because whilst everybody would say, yeah, grim, you know, Greg, he's always smiling. He's, he's always happy. You, you this bit that you've got you've also got this little bit that made you this successful one of the greatest speedway riders ever world champion and and you've got this bit that if if a flip if a switch is flicked 
it's within you. You know, it's not your nature, but you've, you've got it in you. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I'm the kind of guy who would always like try to you know, like that. I don't have that switch in me, but it's been tested and everybody <laughs> knows it's been tested. <laughs> so I have the switch. You are exactly right. And that's probably the best way of putting it the way you just put it there. <laughs> and, and, and one of the things is I was at Peterborough um, at the playoffs when Reading really should have won. I think they were beating Peterborough away and Peterborough had used their wild, their joker cards twice because they were like more than seven points behind. And mm-hmm. yourself and was it Kolodje in the in the last heat, and it Reading was. lost it, lost it on the last heat. Now I was there with my dad, and we left. We left early. Now you'll have, I don't know whether you remember because I didn't see it. You'll have to tell me. We walked behind the pits, and I knew where you were pitted, and something hit the back wall pretty hard. Now I don't know whether it was a helmet or something or a fist, but it, and and that was to me was like. Man, he's got that switch. Like he's got that hunger, the desire. He is a great. He is a nice, smiley guy, but he's got that sheer determination. I think you were so riled that that Reading Racing has has lost it on the last heat. That you just had that switch. That you just had to vent. And it's so good to see it. It's a spark, a massive spark. Well, you know that particular night, and this <laughs> has been a topic recently too, and other ones is. Uh... We can go back to Lars Larson here for one moment because Lars made a comment to me in our early years that started to really uh, collaborate together. Um, and he said, nobody can make me angry except me. Mm. And that's because I let myself get angry. So then I can only be angry at myself. So whatever someone's doing to me, I can't, I can't let them upset me. But if I get upset, that's because I let myself get upset and then I've got a problem. And uh, that night, the the choice of Gates is where it came down to. And I took the the role of I'm going to give Kalaje wants the inside. I'm going to give him the inside, and I'm going to take the outside because that's that's the right thing to do. And he was he was on a roll that night too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and but in the back of my mind, thinking maybe I should, with the experience and what have you, I should be taking that one and let him do his thing, vice versa. And uh, I have, when I came in from that heat, I was so angry because of exactly that. (laughs) I made a bad choice. I made the wrong choice in my head. And I was angry at myself because I made that choice. I should have just said, no, I got to do this. I need to take, I need to make the start. I need to get in front. I need to go. And um, not, you know, but I'm a team guy. I want to get, I want my my teammate says, I'm going to do that. I'm going to make it. I want to keep him going. I want to make him feel good. And then I'm going to fight for the rest and I want to make it work. But it didn't work out that way. You know, those guys were, were pretty decent around Peterborough. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I was angry and yeah, I, the switch was there, man. (laughs) That's good to see sometimes though, Greg. Good to see. You need it. Well, that's, I, I guess I would agree with you more and more as much as I used to. Th- I didn't want anybody ever to see me mad. And uh, I just put the grin on, you know, I'd go away and then I would let loose on, on you know, myself in the car or, <laughs> or, uh, you know, tell Jenny all the things that I was up- upset with or angry with. And then we'd talk about it. But like I said, she knew when just to say nothing. And she knew if I didn't speak, 
that I needed either need a little bit of alone time <laughs> or she would just start poking me until I did speak. She knew how to poke me because she's like, he's got too much in there. He can't sit on this. This is not, it's not healthy. I got to get it out. I got to get it out. And although she doesn't know the, all the deep in, in the internal things of the sport, she knows the psychological side or issues that it's going to cause me long-term if we don't talk about it. And I might say something that I shouldn't say. Right. <laughs> so she helped me to get it out. Let's just talk about it. And she would just be a really good listener. And then she would uh, throw in some sort of an analogy of, of, uh, of, of another life circumstance that could be comparative, yeah. you know, and those are the kind of things that you need. Yeah. People are in some of my friends that say they're intimidated by Jenny because she's quite strong. She's quite um, sure of herself. Mm. And she says what she thinks. And if someone says something to her that they think and it might come out, oh, okay, got it. You know, she doesn't get angry. She'll be like, oh, what do you mean by that? You know, and then she really wants to get to the point and want to resolve it and then draw a line on it and let it go. She, so, she's uh, a mar- yeah, it's she's a multiple world champion as well. Huh? She's part of the team. She sure is, man. And then some, yeah. you know, she's even uh, she's she's exceeded me in the in recent this la- over this last year. Yeah. So. I uh, still got someone to look up to. <laughs> <laughs> so, dude, it's it's crazy. The like you said, the the mental world of all this. And you and I have had you know various conversations about it all. But racing in general is it is so mental. It's you got to have the equipment without a doubt. But you can have the best equipment in the world and then not have the head. And yeah. <laughs> why even have those yeah. bikes? Yeah, too true. Or those cars. Or... But I, th- I think maybe the, 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 the tie-up with us and ProDrive, and, I, and I, think, I think a lot of that just maybe, along with all the other stuff you were doing, it, it maybe just helped simplify and kind of go, right, I'm going to lay that block there and I'm going to lay that block there and that's all taken care of. I think it just maybe gave you a, I don't know, it's just an open question to you. Did it give you a calmness to know that you had people that worked at ProDrive helping you. Did that did that give you a bit of calmness to go, okay, that's under control. I've got people on that. That not only did it give me calmness, it gave me uh, strength and that feeling of I've got some, you know, as a racer, I've got something that nobody else has and nobody else can get. So that was the idea. And you guys were always so good to me, no matter who came through the door and, and wanted to get something done and uh, something similar or some build something. You guys pretty much said, well, as long as Greg's racing, we're committed to him. And that's as far as it went. And for me, I, I'd never had that before. You don't have engine guys out there, you know, you don't, it doesn't matter what you used, you know, that's just Speedway. I'm not saying that's a bad mm. thing. A lot of engine tuners out there, but we're all using the same guys, right? And maybe we've got one guy's got something slightly different than the other one, but that's not because that's exactly what he, you know, he wanted. But that might just be something that I used what Chris Holder was using, and it, it was really nice. But maybe it was too aggressive for me, like this, where Ty Wolfenden has it like that, and I can't get it to work like that. But theoretically, the engines were quite similar for a lot of the guys. It's just a matter. of who does what with their carburation, their ignition, their chassis, their gearing. So it kind of took the engine part is I know I've got a good engine and I know he's got a good engine. So for me to be better, I got to have all the, the parts around it have got to be in place. 
Well, I had ProDrive and I had a ProDrive combined with my Stua frame combination. I had something that nobody else had. And Tony Richardson had the Penske yeah. deal, right? And we had a lot of conversations about Penske during our development yeah. work. And we knew that Tony has something special, but nobody really knew what it was. Yeah. Uh, however, you guys had a pretty good idea because you know, <laughs> you know that kind of stuff, right? So, um, yeah, I think I was in a good position. Yeah, that's that's cool. I mean, so you know, you mentioned a little bit about people saying, you know, we, yeah, we were. I mean, I was approached twice about, you know, can you? We know you're doing the frames for Greg. Can you? Can you do something? So you know, go going way way back. Um, I'm a grass track. You know, my dad used to take me to grass track and. You know, one of the greatest, you know, the Simon Wig, Kelvin Tatum kind of grass track era. And I've been at Abingdon, big grass track meeting. And again, I used to go straight to the pits and as a observed Simon Wig. And there was one final on the grass track and Wiggy had got John Davis, an old Reading racer, speedway rider. And yeah, he, they all lined up on the on the start gate and JD jumped the fence and started digging her up. For, for Wiggy out the gate and it was just oh. enough to put Kelvin off and you know and then Wiggy got a lightning start and it was all psychological but going back to what what you were saying so I I know Kelvin or knew Kelvin from that era a little bit I, I idolized him um I he then got in, into karting and knew, knew my brother mm-hmm. and then I got to know Kelvin a little bit more and I absolutely love the guy. You know, if, if you look at somebody that's enthusiastic about anything, you go and speak to Kelvin and his eyes are bursting through his head and he's just right up close talking to him because he's so passionate. Now, around the time that we started working from you for with you, Kelvin was helping Scotty Nichols out. So Kelvin mm-hmm. had got my number and phoned me up and said, look, Lars, um, you know, and by rights, you know, if you look at it, we should be helping an English guy, you know, because ProDrive English, you know, British company should be helping a, a Brit. But the passion within not just me, but Mick and Chris at ProDrive, we didn't care about anybody else. We just wanted to help Greg Hancock in some small way because we thought the bloke was absolutely amazing. You know, we know the bloke's absolutely amazing and we just want to help him. So I said to Kelvin, you know, Kelvin, no, it's, we're we we as a team are only interested in in working with greg when when if and when greg retires then maybe but we're just not interested and then rewind back to the early days of when we got together obviously Bowie, you know you had um Bowie involved didn't you he came to pro drive um for the original meeting and we went to watch you at coventry which was one of the last meetings i think you might have done in the uk before you just started riding in Sweden and Poland and Bowie was kind of working with, with Rob Wuffenden and Ty and Bowie was, was saying to me and Mick, I think it was myself, Mick, Bowie and Rob Wuffenden stood around chatting and, and Bowie and and Rob was saying, well, you know, can you, can you make a frame for Ty? And Mick and I looked at each other and we just said, look, sorry, if we're only interested in working for Greg and, it was about teamwork and for us, for us, and I can, and I know I can speak for Mick um, if you get him on a podcast later and he'll say the same, but it was our sole interest just to help you. That's all we wanted to do. Dude, I, those, these moments come back, you know, I mean, of, of talking about Woofie and, and, uh, and Bowie, obviously Bowie was a main instigator and a lot of great things 
and a lot of another positive person who tend to call me when he knew that I wasn't in the in the best of moods and he would call until I answered the phone even <laughs> like oh dang it Darren again you know I know it I know I know he's going to try to tell me how you know that I maybe I made a bad move but it's going to be better tomorrow it's good I knew he was going to give me something positive and I wouldn't answer that call and what I would give for that damn phone to ring right now and with his name on it <laughs> you know now, now that he's especially now that he's gone great great um, guy um and and again you know there was a link, there was a tedious link there with me and Bowie. So Bowie is friends with a, an engine tuner from karting called Steve Ogden. Um, they live, live near each other and um, they're good pals. And there's a lot that, you know, there's so many little tedious connections but between all of us. And, but talking about Ty briefly, and this is where, mm-hmm. this is where, yes, we did help you, but this is where it kind of starts at home. You also had to have the trust in us you had to trust us a lot because you look at i think i think woofy got involved with somebody else helping him with his frames and the frame collapsed going into a corner once but you know when we're asking you to test things you have to put a lot of faith and a lot of courage in us because you don't know if it's going to be strong enough and i remember every night you know monday night i would we were doing you know i was i was traveling doing three hours in my car each day and doing an 11 hour shift and making bits after I finished work. So it probably ended up like a, like a 14, 15 hour day, but it didn't matter because we were making bits that I could drive to you on Monday night. And I'd say, here, Greg, here's, here's a, something we want you to try expecting you to go away and test it. And you were like, yeah, sure. We'll chuck it in the frame for the first heat. And it was like, crikey, you know, you had that confidence in us. And that was, that, that's what made it work as well. Well, dude, you guys, you know, you were working for a, you know, especially at that time, a, a pretty well-known company. You got, a, you guys had a lot of success behind the company, a lot of success behind the drivers that you guys helped to win championships, you know, and, and the rally and all sorts of stuff. So I was pretty damn confident that I had something better than just a a mild steel frame that you could buy out of the Czech Republic. I, th- I thought I was doing, I was okay, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So I knew I had something good. It was just a matter of. I hope I don't let them down that it doesn't, maybe this thing is really good. And then I just have a bad night. That's how I used to think. And, uh, and then suddenly you start to realize that, okay, now I'm starting to feel this. Yeah. So you, you can never go into, into it expecting it to be something, but if you're really wanting it to be something, it's amazing how much better that, that thing can actually be. I want this to be like this. And some nights I would put it, no, that, no, that's not working. Right. That's, but let me, I'll try it again tomorrow, yeah. you know, and then you just to, to kind of process of elimination or just to think maybe I wasn't in the best mood. So I shouldn't, we shouldn't judge it. The track might've been like this and the weather was like that. And I was having a bad day or, or the mechanics did something wrong or, you know, it could be anything. Yeah. I, I remember, I, like you said, you, yeah. I remember saying to Mick, you know, Mick, you know, just suck this all up because this is, this is going to be some of the best times of your speedway life it doesn't get any better than this you know it doesn't get any better than designing bits on a wednesday making them on a thursday friday driving them down to reading on a monday and seeing the results and i remember you know i used to be stood by the pits i'd wait wait till after the meeting have a debrief of you and we'd be trying stuff in the bike and it would go in all straight and then you'd give me back this this twisted bit of the frame that had so much stress going through it and that was all part of us learning and Again, 
the whole the whole pro drive thing um yeah teamwork it's all teamwork so getting mick involved so so basically greg when i when i decided i wanted to help you i don't know whether you i don't know whether you know this this bit even so i you'd met tony butcher a year before at oxford is that in oxford yeah. and i was renting a room in, in a fabricator's house and he mentioned to me oh tony butcher met greg ancock i was like no way and um, he said, yeah, we, we might do something with him and nothing come of it because obviously you then let the link with Tony Butcher and you was through Oxford Speedway and you left. Okay. I, after I met you at Reading one Monday night and waited around for you and as ever, like you always do, you're, you're there signing autographs and talking to people until there's nobody else there until you've seen everybody um, and just said, Greg, you know, I mean, you don't know me, I'm Lars, I want to help you. That next morning I went to work and I knocked on Tony Butcher, who was the operations directors um, at ProDrive at the time. and said, Tony, I've met Greg Hancock. I like him. I really like him. And I think he can be world champion again. And he said to me, Lars, get out of my office. And I thought, crikey, I've upset him. He said, you've convinced me, but you've got to go and find two other people to help you. Then I will support it with everything. So I knew where to go, didn't I? You know, Mick, Mick Metcalf. Yeah. <laughs> Mick Metcalf, a Coventry Speedway fan for all of his life, a big Greg Hancock fan, um, Chris Feltham in the fab shop, a motorbike guy. So yeah. I don't think I even finished the sentence with Mick and he was like, I'm in. I don't think I even finished the <laughs> sentence with Chris and he was like, I'm in. And it was teamwork, Greg. So Chris and I would put Mick under pressure saying, come on, Mick, where's the drawings? As soon as Mick did the drawings, he's on my case going, come on, Lars. Where's the bits? And as soon as I've machined them up, Mick and I are both saying to Chris Felton, come on, Chris, where's the frame? And it, and it was just teamwork. <laughs> it was great. And, I, and again, bringing the bike into the, rolling the bike into your guys' uh, workshop the first time. I remember that with Louis Carr. Yeah. And I think Louie might have even been with he, us. He was, there, right? yeah, he was. You, you came from meeting. And yeah, the first, on the first trip. You dropped... Yeah, we drove in there. And yeah, it was just fun to see people kind of stop when you walk through, you know, and, and uh, bring the bike through the fab shop or whatever. And, and people just start looking around it and just checking it out and looking, how's this thing work? Like really getting a chance to look at it up close and personal. And then uh, you could, you could hear the gears turning right away. You know what we could do, how we can do that. And then what do you want to get from this? Right. And that was, what are you looking for, Greg? And uh, kind of explaining my situation and my, my riding style and some habits that I had from, from the early days of riding in the U S and how do we, how do we make this better? How do we make this work for me? I, what, what, a, I just want what a great opening meeting we had though in Tony's office. And, you know, like you say with you and Louie yeah. and Bowie, did, did you bring, did you bring Bowie down as an, as an advisor to kind of like, what, what was, cause, cause it, again, was it just like Bowie come down, I'm, I'm going to pro drive, come and see what you think was, or what was his role? Was he sussing out whether he thought it was the right track or what, what, what was what was the role he played in that in that early on? Well, Louis, Bo- uh, Bowie, yeah. Bowie yeah. Darren Bucock and, and Louis Carr, they were they were really good buddies. And um, and Darren was very influential in getting Louis uh, and I hooked up to to work together while I had the, that time at Oxford and, and then Reading. So the 
the link was that they were together quite often and and Bowie was very much a big supporter and pusher for uh, doing this deal with you guys got to make this happen you got to make wow. this happen this is a good deal so he was always for it he was he was definitely a key influencer in the whole thing you know so i said yeah this could be good but you you know doing the years of racing you're thinking too okay yeah this is great yeah these guys are really nice and they do some really cool stuff i'm sure they can build me something rad but are they going to build me something that's unrideable mm. you know is it going to be like reinventing the wheel we don't need to reinvent the wheel we just want to make it better so you know i was running through all these things in my control freak sort of way and there's darren going dude you got nothing to lose these guys can make this happen you know he was always the one you got to do this you got you know got to do it and louis was right there with him too and uh but louis was very special in his way too right he's uh, his. yeah uh he has his old school ways and he knows what he believes in however he knows that there are some great possibilities that could be done out of, out of pro drive so uh just having your name attached to us in our team was worth another three points well, you, you say that do you remember a conversation we had at reading i think i was like greg cover the bike up and you were like why I was like, just cover it up, because if you cover it up, you get people guessing. Like other riders are thinking, what's he hiding? What's he covering up? And then whilst they're thinking that, <laughs> they're not thinking about the race. So just all those little bits that are excellent. Absolutely, man. They were uh, the key points and and lessons learned always, you know. And that was just the beginning of it all. And that's also at the time when we started, we switched over and started running black frames. Yeah. So. Uh, that was uh, for a number of other reasons, you know. So you, there's a lot that was learned, and the, the color combination wasn't just for the look, you know. It had it had of some course. And, you know, another thing I remember from the meeting, I was like, you know, because you're you're always a cool, you're a cool, cool cat, man. You're all, you know, all your kids are cool kids. You're 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 a cool, cool papa. And I remember like this really cool Troy Lee watch you had on, and I was like, man, man, Greg's so cool. He's so cool. <laughs> just because yeah, I had a cool watch that made me really Californian cool, cool cool oh my gosh it's, it's, so it's we, awesome. we used to we used to finish so, so, so I Mick and I and um, Chris Felton we used to finish work at 5.36 and all go around and look at your bike and just all suggest things like right let's try this this is what I think this is what I think and then Mick Mick would go off and you know he's he's the brains behind the kind of making sure it was strong, making sure. And we were talking about, you know, we think Greg wants it rigid here and we wants it soft here, but then Mick had to go away and make all that happen. Um, and he loved it. One of the best times of his life. You know, and like you said, I, I still, to the day, I still call him. I've got a couple of, uh, of other ideas or other things in the, in the go right now too. And uh, I know that I, I contact Mick and then uh, I contact our fabricator guy over here, Jeff Haywood uh, at the same time, because he's a car guy too. And him and I think there was some business that was done between pro drive and, and coast fabrication mm -hmm. back in the day. And uh, anyway, Mick, I, I go to him and like, here's what I'm thinking. Is this doable in your, you know, engineering mind, you know, and then he would, he, he usually has a quick, uh, response, but then he wants to dig into it and he wants to look at the real structural side of it, how it works. And if we do it like this and if we do it like that, and then I get a full blown printout basically of, of, uh, his knowledgeable reasonings of 
pluses and minuses, what we could do and why it wouldn't be good or why it would be good. And, and uh, yeah, it's doable or I would, I don't know if that's a good idea. And um, you know, right down to a, the same thing when I decided I wanted to build a little small mini speeder bike for, for Bill, my middle son years ago. And I said to Mick, I, there's a market for these things. Cause there's just not a really cool small bike that's in production. And uh, I said to Mick, I'll, can you help me with this? And I'll, I'll, I'll fund it. And you let me know what it takes to do it. And let's build a really cool little bike. And he built that, that badass little aluminum aluminum frame based off of a uh, 125 uh, stump wow. pit bike and used a lot of the parts off of it and then made it into a, the most cool little junior speeder yeah. bike ever. And um, we didn't take off with it, but my kids have had a ton of fun. <laughs> well, he, Mick, Mick I, I remember, you know, Mick, I think he even said it to you, Greg, I think on about your second or third meeting at ProDrive. He certainly said it to me and he doesn't work at ProDrive anymore, so it's all right. So he said to me, he said, Lars, Helping Greg is is more important to me than my real than, 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 than my real job. And I was like, yeah, me me too, Mick. Me too, Mick. We just we you know Ricky Bobby. We just want to help him go fast. Just want to go fast, right? <laughs> and that was a that was a laughing joke for the longest time, right? I was just I just want yeah, to go fast. Amazing. And, uh, yeah. Well, you guys have followed me around a lot, you know, over the years and, and done a lot of races. We've done some Cardiff together and, and obviously Mick and Jackie and their, their girls, they have, they've been like, like hardcore uh, followers and supporters of mine in various different countries over the years. And it's been so fun because they'll, they'll link up with us and, and stay in the same hotel. So we actually get that time to sit down and have a dinner together or a lunch together and just to get a half an hour, maybe a couple of hours sometimes that we don't often get face to face. Right. Cause it's, it's wide open. I, I don't get to see you nearly as much. So it's, it's always uh, a, you know, a message or a call or a, an email or something like that just to catch up. But this has been epic for me now to, to catch up with you here and, and you bring up some great memories and some, some fun stuff too. Even the one <laughs> talking about, you know, picking me up from the airport and uh, you know, get me to a race or driving me to Tesco's to buy the uh, the the diaper bags, your, your nappy that, sacks that you guys have there from that, from Tesco's, so we could take them back to Sweden. My wife had a business selling stuff over there, and part of her uh, her salon business. And she had, you know, Wilbur was little then, so she was finding all these cool things around the world. She's like, oh my gosh, we don't have these in Sweden. You got to get some of those for me. And in when you're in England, I'll sell them in the shop here. As part of my little store that she had next to the uh, to the hair there, 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 so, there i am was, there i am yeah. picking you up from the airport and <laughs> and like within within what within six months of having the idea i've got i've got one of my one of my now idols sat in the passenger seat next to me and you know i didn't drink coffee at the time and 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 this <laughs> dude has come out of the heathrow terminal hey man how you doing thanks for picking me up i got your coffee and I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, I can't say no. This is Greg Hancock. I so there I, I, you know, I forced this coffee down me and then we, we got to ProDrive, did the meeting and I'm thinking, oh my God, I, I, this, this is, this is Greg Hancock. This is amazing. I've got I, Greg Hancock. I'm taking him back to the airport. And I was like, Greg, do you want is there anything else you want to do? Hey man, is, I, is there a Tesco's round here or something? I was like, yeah, sure. What, what do you want? I really need to go and get some nappy sacks. And I was like, what? So there I am with, with, with my like two wheeled <laughs> idol 
in Tesco's and I'm like, how many do you want, Greg? Do you want five, ten? Well, we're clear, clear the shelf. We'll take the lot. And I remember we had a we had an engine. You had an engine bag. And we literally opened up the engine bag and with a hand cleared the whole shelf with nappy sacks and packed them in the back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I'm making a note of this here through the nappy sacks. This will be a fun. I can't believe it. I'm like, I'm just like, I'm at a till with Greg Hancock and a load of nappy sacks at Tesco's. What's going on? But, um, you, I can't tell anybody <laughs> this. You, you mentioned, you know, I, I think I only really, I only really got to come away. You know, you, you sorted us out when we came to Prague um, for the Grand Prix. And for me, do you know what? That that weekend at Prague where we stayed in the same hotel with you, um, Richard kind of helped sort it out. Um, and you had dinner with us as a, you know, you let us come to the team dinner. Um, that for me just made it. It was brilliant. And do you know, you guys were a part yeah. of the team. What do you mean? No, I let you. It was you just cool, Greg, from my from my point of view. And do you know what? You you finished second that night to Nikki. And one of the cool things is that Mick, myself, Jackie, my mum and dad, we all got back to the hotel. And it, Nikki's team, um, his sponsors were in there. So we ended up, there were only other people in the bar. So we ended up having a drink. And then I you come this. in. Yeah. And Mick and myself stood up and clapped you as if to say, Greg, great night. And Nikki sponsors also stood up, they clapped you, and then about 15 minutes afterwards, Nikki came in and we all got up and we clapped Nikki in. And again, you know, I've I've got my my thoughts on 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 Nikki P. Um, say as you see, and I think away from the track, he's a lovely guy. From what I, you know, say as you see, he's he's a really, really nice guy, but I think he's so old school in his speedway that he needs that he needs to hate people when he's racing against them because that's where he gets his motivation. And that's where he doesn't know that he crosses the line sometimes, but that was a great night in the bar we, we ended up with, you know, you and Nikki had to get off to Poland early the next morning. So you weren't, you didn't have a drink, but two different teams all ended up in the bar and we were just chatting, shooting the breeze and celebrating what it, it doesn't get better than that. Hey, you know what? Like I say, those those are really good memories for 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 anybody, and uh, for me too. Even to sit and think about that that camaraderie, that love hate relationship, or that that competitive edge that you're always trying to 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 get a hold of. But you know, deep down to it, Nikki's and a lot of Nikki's crew and sponsors, they've always been really really cool, really really friendly, and and uh, you know kind when you see him too so there is that part of the of nicky like you said that old school that, <laughs> that he's that he's, he's got this thing about him you know he's got to hate somebody in order to beat him and uh yeah like he, he does he does push the, the limit quite often but that's that's him but right? he, and he therefore gotta love or hate him the guy yeah you're to totally true but but therefore he then struggles when you've got this new crew coming in like woofy and all the new riders they don't rise to it because they're so they've got their own thing going on so he he then later on in his career, he just didn't know how to deal with it because he couldn't, they just didn't play that kind of game, which was fascinating. But um, hey, hey, Greg, Greg, one, one other thing. I've just, I just saw some notes that I put down. I remember, um, I, I so remember. And again, this is, this comes back to how important your role obviously is in the team, but the team of people that you got around you, I never forget when I first met Raf. Um, maybe the first or second time I met Rafa, your your number one mechanic. And, you yeah. know, 
he gave me that look. You know, we, we were helping you and we'd done quite a bit with you on the frame by this time. And you were con- consistently using the frame and, and it was all going well. And I remember meeting Rafa and again, what a great guy. And I remember him shaking me by the hand and he gave me that look as if to say, I haven't made up my mind about you yet. I'm just gonna, you know, I've got, I've got Greg's back. I haven't made up my mind about you yet. But after a while, he, he kind of, he realised we were in it. We were in it to win it and we were in it for the right reasons. And again, I just, it's just a point that you didn't know about, but um, definitely that guy, you know, he always had your back in terms of like checking us out. <laughs> he, I, I'm lucky like that with a lot of people and uh Quite often, Raph wouldn't say anything, but I could see by the look in his eye when he would look at certain people and like in, in his mannerisms and his response when somebody would walk into the pits and I would start to talk to him, he would give them the look and he would turn around and he would usually he would just walk out or he would <laughs> ignore them completely if he didn't, if he had a, uh, a bad feeling about him. And, you know, nine times out of 10, he was right. And, uh, you know, about certain people. But the ones that he wasn't sure of, he was just trying to figure them out. And he would do that basically just to let them know that <laughs> I'm watching you, you know. And uh, I loved it. And it always the good people. It always. Yeah, you got I you got to love him, you know. And the guy, yeah. he did have my back. He always he always and he still does. We yeah. still talk. And he called me just uh, yesterday, actually, to talk about uh, magic and some he's working for magic full wow. time now, too. So he um, he had some questions about uh, some stuff they were doing and wanted my opinion on it. So it made me feel good. You know, he. He and I, we understand that, um, you know, I can probably win some races without him and he can win a lot of races without me, but together we can yeah. win a lot of races. So that's the kind of, that was the kind of relationship we had. And we knew that we were stronger together and we could, uh, we can, we can yeah. do things. So that that's kind of, that was our little secret. Right. I mean, you know, you talking about that, if you, have you got, I know you obviously your, your hands are going to be pretty full with Wilbur, but have you got any, have you got any kind of plans or to maybe maybe try and help somebody in, in an advisory role? Maybe, maybe, yeah, magic. I, I don't know. Is that on your radar? You know, I'm, I'm always available to, to, to consider that option. Nothing's nothing has been uh, brought up in, in most recent days, but I think right now everybody's so wrapped up in coronavirus that <laughs> there's nothing, going, there's nothing going on and no one really knows yeah. what's happening, but, you know, I would, I would uh, very much um, get into the thought of, of working with another rider. And it's got to be, for me, I, I only want to work with somebody that, that really, really wants to, to win, you know. Uh, it's, for me, I've seen a lot of guys that, different dudes, I won't name names, but have hired people to come there and help them do what they can. And, and um, but deep down, it was just more of a, they hired a person, but uh, they didn't get anything out of it because they 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 don't they believe that they are better than um, their equipment. They believe that they're better than everyone else, and that sometimes that's you know many times that's not what it takes. You got to be willing. You want to win, right? So you got to you've got to utilize what you got, and you've got to work hard, and you've got to stay together, and you've got to have that look in your eye of I'm watching you, right? <laughs> you got to trust each other, and um, man, I want to win. I, that's that's it's different to help one guy that just goes out there and, and blames everything because I was the guy who blamed myself before I would blame my equipment or blame my mechanics. Even if I knew myself that something else was wrong, I would always take the blame myself in the beginning. And like, I made a mistake. I think, 
that that goes full circle with a conversation we've just been having you know there was only ever one person that 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 we were going to help out and you know again any kids listening you know just 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 go about your business and and what's your saying surround yourself with with the right people yeah that's that's life totally and and that was something my mom and or my dad and my dad especially said too like you gotta it's some put yourself in in good hands you know and and probably (laughs) troy lee actually out of all people was the the greatest you know guy who was you know he's not much older than me but we grew up around him and my brother and him are more similar age and and we spent a lot of time with him. And so I've watched his whole empire grow and grow and grow. And he's still the same old Troy. You know, he's just the same old rad dude as he ever was. He's just really, really busy these days. But he told me, he goes, dude, I have to surround myself with people that are a lot smarter <laughs> than me. And most of them are. Yeah. And uh, he said, but that's how I have learned and become better and, and uh, built what I built. Because there's a lot of people out there that are a lot smarter than me. But. I'm, I have the creative mind and I know what I want to do. So how do we make it work? And, and that's how it is. And didn't get angry if something went wrong. He just said, Oh, well, that didn't work. I got to do it different. Teamwork, teamwork makes the dream work. And, um, hey, yeah. there's the saying, right? And you've heard it before probably. And it is the, the honest truth. You really got to believe in it. Like you said, kids need to, they should, you know, you got to have heroes. You got to have people you look up to and maybe you don't. Did you hear my podcast with yeah, Jeff Nielsen? Yeah, I loved it. Oh, Greg, I've listened to every single podcast. I love him. Did, love him. So did you did you hear the part early on when I asked him? I said, who were your heroes? Who did you look up to? Yes, I was walking. Um, what did he say? He he didn't have any. Yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember where I was when I got to that podcast because I did it on a walk the other day. But amazing. But he's, he's an amazing guy. But you surra- again, you surrounded yourself you surrounded yourself with him pre I did I, I do nothing yeah. but good people I've ever been around from from Craig and Craig Hadley back in the UK there and um to to Bowie obviously Bowie and I've been friends since I was actually really little no but not many people know that he was coming to the US and back and forth in his racing days when I was still a kid but guys like that all the way up to mm-hmm. your yourselves and Lars Larson and you know, the, the Penhall family here in the U.S. and then Eric Gunderson and, and Simon Cross. I mean, the list is so long. The amount of people that I have, you know, being me, I've, I've managed to be able to get to know these people. I've been in, able to live in, you know, great people's houses, Lance King, you know, Eric Gunderson, Simon Cross. I got to live with these people and they basically, I could have easily bit the hand mm-hmm. that feeds, but I didn't. I just took, I took hold of it and I used it in in all the right manners and i always gave back and i never burned that bridge and i can still talk to those people and i can still ask them for help and advice and i can give back now where i probably couldn't give them much back in the day now i can offer something that i've learned or try to help them in return if they ever needed it so that's a friendship and that's hey man you gotta there's no reason to uh (laughs) to crumpy's crumpy's podcast was brilliant so you know, do you know what I really miss? I miss not being able to go down to pool and see Greg Hancock ride against Crumpy. I miss, you know, Lee Adams, Crumpy, those names, those established names in the sport and going cheering for Greg. And I was really looking forward this year to go to Swindon when Crumpy was going to be racing there. And obviously Corona's kind of put the skids on that. But you're, it was a great podcast to, to, to hear Crumpy because, again, 
you know, similar ilk to you, Greg, you know, Crumpy is another guy that, that, that goes about his business in a similar way. You know, he's very measured, very professional. You know, I, I, I put Tony Ricardson, Crumpy and yourself of that era all in the same bracket. And I just look up to you guys so much. Dude, that's, uh, those are very kind words. And uh, those kind of guys, they, those guys motivate me more than anybody, you know, because it's, they, as much as we were direct competitors, I was also looking up to them and I was learning from them. And one minute they would speak to you, and the next minute they could look at you as if this step <laughs> off man, get the hell out of my space, you know. But I knew that later on we could be in the restaurant or the bar or something, and they'd be like, hey, what's up? And I was like, that never happened yeah. earlier, right? And, um, but so much respect for those guys. And still to the day, so I still get almost starstruck when I see them because there was, they were the ones who basically gave me the tools that I needed and the, the, the motivation to beat them yet i was looking up to him at the same time so it was it's you know yeah, it's a give and great, take great times and i'm sure you know if you get mick on i'm i don't think speedway's been the same for any of us since you since you stopped greg well yeah, it's not been the same for me either man um, we just can't wait we can't wait because we all we're all here for wilbur if he needs any help we, you know you you know you've just got to say the word and and me mick and and Chris will be back on it helping if he if he needs any help. Well, there's uh, this this little thing I just dropped on Mick recently. Um, it might come <laughs> around to you shortly because uh, I threw it on to him to see what, if it was doable. And, uh, and I'll tell you more about it after. But it's uh, it's definitely on the quiet. And there are some ideas for things to do in the future. However, right now we have to see where Speedway's going with everything going on. This is kind of like you said. It's put a it's put a stop and it's yeah. put a pause and a huge speed bump in front of all of us so we, we will get over it we will go through it we'll do we'll knock it down we'll do something to get to get moving but how long it's going to take we don't really know and at the moment nobody really wants to do too much because we don't know what's going to come back so we got to watch polish league right now because it's going to be interesting how they're going to pull this off and uh i have my my pros and cons of the way they're doing the rules and regulations over there and with the contracts and stuff but uh yeah. We won't dig into that on this episode. We'll yeah. save that for another one. Lars, you know, we could talk for hours, you know, and I, I get so motivated and I, you know, we don't want to overload people with the, too much listening here, but they, we should do this again. Maybe we should have another one with, with you, Mick and Chris together and uh, talk serious Speedway stuff and, or just maybe you and I can have a, a casual cold one one night on on the, and have a chat about racing because um I, there's a lot we didn't dig into about your career and some of your test driving and the Aston Martin stuff you guys were doing there at Pro Drive. I that was the kind of stuff I was <laughs> aiming for in the podcast, but you uh you got me talking about that that racing world and and life and uh which is really really important and without all that we would So important Greg, you know, you 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 inspired, you know, you you're you're the peddler, you're the pilot. Um you inspired you being who you are and the person you are and how you carry yourself um you inspired all of us lot to to want to do that um and you know what i'm not i'm not a father at the moment but you inspire me on how to be a how to be a parent man you just yeah top top guy so and i'd love to i'd love to have a catch up i'd love to maybe you must have some funny funny stories of 
you know, some comical stories of traveling around the world um, with the teams and stuff. And maybe there's, there's a bit we could do on that and have some giggles. Absolutely, man. There's a lot of that stuff we don't want to bring up too. <laughs> uh, spot on. You know, cell phones get people in trouble these days. Can you imagine how it would have been for a lot of guys back in the day before cell phones? <laughs> trouble, trouble, yeah. yeah. Uh, guys and girls, I should say. It's not, not just guys. It's, it's literally everything. But... No, hey, listen, Lars, again, buddy, I, I thank you so very, very much for for everything. I'm an endless, I always say I'm... I'm and endless debt to a lot of people out there um, in my own mind. I don't mean mm. that, that, you know, that you got to take that in the other way. I just, it really meant a lot to me what you guys did for me. And without you, I wouldn't have been a four-time world champion. So uh, you were right. I was too good to be one-time world champion. And I think I you you're too good to be four-time world champ, Greg, but that's in another, another lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> We'll leave it at that. You have yourself a wonderful day, dude. Keep it cool. Keep it real. And uh, hey, just be uh, be yourself, man. That's that's all we can ask, right? Remember, yeah. Raph's take care, mate. Love, love to everyone. <laughs> Likewise, buddy. And thank you to all of you people for listening to the Real Forty Five podcast. That was Lars Sexton, uh, good friend and uh, a huge motivator of mine. And, um, you know, there's more to come on this whole thing. So thanks for listening. I'm Greg Hancock. You guys have yourself a great week. Be good.